This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. So tonight, Linda, oh my goodness, like honestly, I, if I was to think about how long I've known you for... Well, it'll date both of us. But anyway, so I'm not going to say a whole lot because there's a lot of stuff that I know about you that you've been through that is none of my business to tell people, so it's totally up to you. Um, I do, I, I did particularly want you on the podcast last year, this past year, for any reason whatsoever. <laughs> but this year, I'm going to let you tell people what you're up to and why you're up to it because you don't have to do most of the shit you do, but you do it, so... Anyway, without further ado, here's Linda. Huh, here comes the fun part. This is where I get quiet, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I do do what I do all the time because my big problem is I can't say no. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't even know where to begin on this. Well, let's, let's talk about the work you do with the veterans because you're an Army brat, right? I am an Army brat yeah. to a man that served the beautiful Canadian Army for 45 years. Mm-hmm. Um, born on a German military base, well, German-Canadian military yeah. base to a German mother who oddly was a racist, yet my father was a colorblind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I ended up with a split personality. <laughs> <laughs> it was always confusing. Get her mad and she's a racist. Well, it was always, no, you know, luckily that, you know, that black and white with me mm. and people, they're like, you really don't have bias against colors, no. It's very strange. It's something I will always I can I can attest to. I've yet to hear you in twenty plus years ever say anything like that. No, and my kids were. I I'm a firm believer that the best I can do in life to change the world is raise my children well, mm-hmm. and I know I've successfully done that. There are voices for the future, global stuff, personal stuff, and mm-hmm. definitely against any and all racism. Yeah. Um. So the homes for heroes. Uh, that was started between the mustard seed at Co Trailer, wonderfully built the village. Had the roughest start. And and oddly, the hardest part we're having is getting veterans to accept a home. Mm. And I don't know how to work around that mentality and I truly wish my father was still alive. Have they have they mentioned what the resistance is about or most of them say I didn't serve enough. Really? So when you're you're talking to homeless veterans that entered wars that even my father couldn't comprehend, Afghanistan, Iraq, mm. um, 
they feel because they only did one tour or two that completely destroyed them mentally, which is why they're on the streets. Yeah. And then you try and explain to them what's available for them. That's the first thing they say. Yeah. I didn't serve enough. Really? And there are some young men and women yeah. right, on the streets. And I can't get through the mentality. Mm-hmm. And I know Donald McLeod is trying very, very hard. But they just... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Donald will be upset by my telling this story. I'm glad you're talking about Donald, though, because he'll be on at some point as well. There was one veteran that was supposed to come into the houses that killed himself two weeks ago. Oh, jeez. And I don't know the whole story behind it beyond he had young children. He was an MP, mm. did two tours, and felt what was being offered to him he didn't deserve. Oh, God. So I don't know how to fix those mentalities. Mm. I don't care if someone served for three months. Yeah. Or three minutes, right? Like, seriously. And so right at this moment, there's still empty houses in the homes. Mm. And then there's other people that say, well, I know a couple, you know, Marines, but they're not Canadian. Yeah. Okay, they are Canadian if they live here. And there is a Marine right now in the home. Mm -hmm. Where you served and how you served doesn't make a difference. I want these houses full. Yeah. And, you know, eventually get them back into society. So so how do people go about getting connected to the housing? Like whoever's in charge of um, screening and placements and all that stuff. How do people go about that? Well, the screening is simply they served. Okay. And they're homeless. Yeah. Um, the mustard seed would probably be the first call. And okay. then Donald or whoever would go and find them. Okay. And absolutely, Alberta Works, uh, the Veterans Association, I mean, the costs are eventually, the costs are minimal. It will be covered by, you know, services that are available. Yeah. With the goal of getting them counseling. Yeah. Wonderful people like you. And eventually employed and completely integrated back into society. Mm-hmm. That is the goal. Yeah. But there's a lot that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't think anybody can understand mm-hmm. what what's in their heads. The readjustment's very difficult, yeah. right? So because of what you're saying, the people in the homes. I mean, they're of all ages, and we're hoping the younger ones help the older ones. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's a work in progress, yeah. but they're getting there. Well, for sure, and and um, I imagine the the folks that you're housing, watching you and Donald and, and other people work for them that does reinforce that people give a shit, right? And, I mean, you may not be able to accept that, and that's okay. I'm not expecting you to agree with that. Um, matter of fact, I expect you not to. But the reality is, is that that's what we're, we're able to help people see, right? Is that there are people who care. We have to look through the ones that don't and get past them to find the ones that do, right? Well, Merv's no frills when I went to Merv when uh, the mustard seed had reached out. The first thing he said was, well, let me give them gift cards. So mm-hmm. they all have groceries. Yeah. And when they run out of those, I'll give them more. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where it all began. And then, as Donald put it, Linda, you're infectious. I know you're going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And and it all began with me just asking. And then I reached out to you. Mm-hmm. And you said the exact same thing to anybody I've ever asked. It's, I say homes for heroes. It's, I'm in. What mm-hmm. do you need? Yeah. So my goal... <clears throat> is to eventually get them all employed, mm-hmm. right, in whatever capacity. So by doing loss prevention for some of the franchisees of Loblaws, 
I'm able to have contact, whether it's a cleaning company overnight, if they mm-hmm. can't handle people. Yeah. Um, one of the vets, Cecile, is facing in our store where all she has to do is turn the labels forward. Mm-hmm. And she, to me, I consider her incredibly eccentric. But I need her to look at tomorrow, and this is what a lot of people aren't seeing. For years, Cecile has gotten up every day, went for breakfast and lunch at the drop-in center. Mm-hmm. So we've brought her in the homes, but she still goes every day to the drop-in yeah, center. for her meals, yeah. And then it's why. You have a house, you have a kitchen, mm-hmm. and it's just something she's always done. Yeah. So I went to Mervyn Curtis at the store, and they created this position for her mm-hmm. so that she could focus on going there. Yeah. And last week, it was she couldn't go to the drop-in center because she had to be at the store at 7 o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. So if I can get them slowly to look at tomorrow instead of yesterday... Mm-hmm. You know, she had a medical issue her second shift. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not sure if it was anxiety or it, yeah. it doesn't matter to me what it was. Her mm-hmm. shifts are there. Yeah. And we'll start small and this next week she'll come back again and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll just keep going. Yeah. I love that mentality. Like, I'm, and I'm seeing it more and more. Hey, eh? the more I think in line with like helping others we get, the more I see that. Hey, eh? like I just see it with, um, in, in so many different, now usually it's large companies that do it, that are starting to do it, like say Calgary Police Service, they're revamping their whole approach to like wellness, right? And it's about time. We both Oof. know that, that it needs to happen, right? But the reality is, is that they're doing what you're talking about, this reintegration. So we're trying to make it, which is what I want to do too, in our agency is we will, we're all about trying to make it possible for people, um, regardless of what we think they might need. Instead of that, we're going to start listening to what they think they need and trying to help them get achieve that, right? So like getting someone a job. That's that gradual reintegration, right? So, I mean, I, I had no doubts that you're brilliant, but I wanted to point that out. That's kind of brilliant. <laughs> That's pretty brilliant. Good for you. But that same... Oh, here I go left again. This has been... Since I was a kid, I'd bring home stray dogs, stray cats, stray kids. Mm-hmm. It was something I've done my whole life, yet it's the one thing everybody who's come to me personally, not friends, but let's just say relationships. Mm -hmm. It's the thing they love the most in the beginning and hate the most eventually. Because if the phone rings and it's someone in trouble, I'm grabbing the keys and I'm on my way out the Mm -hmm. door. And it's like, well, you have to do this. And and my kids can attest (laughs) that every waking minute that could be possible, Mm -hmm. I was there. I coached them in sports. I... Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've been a single mom since 2007. But the demise I have always had to deal with is you give yourself too much to other people mm. and not enough to this. Yeah. But I don't see my losing out on anything. Like, I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin. Mm. I'm able to have a conversation with anybody. But yet, that is the one place in life I am horrible at, apparently. Which is? That people feel I give too mm. much when asked. Yeah. I just, I don't know anything different. I've been that way. I've been on, Mm. well, you know, I've been on my own pretty much since I was just before my 15th birthday. Yeah. But that's because I had a crazy mother. (laughs) You know, and people see me now, they see me as a rigid black and white, this is right, this is wrong, and I don't have a gray area. Well, Mm. I have a multitude of gray areas. Just when I do things in life, I tend to do them by the letter of the law, Mm. which for me is funny. (laughs) It's like really funny, actually. (laughs) 
you know, yeah. I loss I prevention. <laughs> well, loss prevention was my very first job in life, and this will date me on your program. It was Woco. 1986 and near the end and beginning of 1987 at the one in Marlboro. Hmm. That was my very first job. I was, you know, just about on my 17th birthday. And I was doing that. I was bartending at Curly's. I had, you know, filed to be an emancipated minor, mm-hmm. still going to school full time. I was a full time gymnast. And I finally got the wish I wanted, which was being allowed to live on my own because, you know, I was over 16. And then I went, how do I handle this? I can't do mm-hmm. school and work and all these things that I thought would happen with a magical piece of paper. <laughs> My whole life, I wanted to be a police officer and I had all these cops helping me. And I remember walking, um, sadly, <laughs> I wanted the job and it was informed to me at the time that I was too short, so I wouldn't get the job. So I ran away and became a stripper. <laughs> I love it. I think you made the right choice, Lynn. I've seen pictures. <laughs> I was white Canadian and an army dad. I couldn't be approved for any loan. The only job I wanted in life was to be a computer programmer. I was a geek on top of it. So I was an athlete. I had good looks. I was kind of smart. And I needed money. Mm-hmm. So I took what I had. And I took that gymnastic thing on the road. But when I was done yeah, school, did. oh, I did. <laughs> I did. But instead of bartending till or busing or whatever I was doing that week at Curly's, I'd be working till three in the morning and I had to be in class at eight o'clock. I was exhausted. I was falling asleep. Mm-hmm. Then I was training at the Mount Royal Uni- uh, Gymnastics Club. Then go back to the bar and I do this all over again mm-hmm. just to pay my own rent and all the stuff. And then I found out I could work 18 minutes a day, <laughs> four times mm-hmm. and make... 10 times the money I was making. Yeah. So, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did that. And then I got into DeVry and Mississauga. And then that was a big chunk of change they wanted. Mm. So I went, well, Quebec City, here I come. <laughs> you know, I took a little time off. I made a crap load of money, paid for my education, and kept going. Mm. Until I couldn't go anymore. That'll be work. I'll ignore that. So... Wow, I went totally off topic there. I don't know. I have questions. I want to ask you questions about your career. I want to ask, because I know there's probably guys out there right now going, wait a second, maybe I saw her. What was your stage name? I would love to Are you allowed to say that? So if if we go back to the days of me, and there's probably going to be people in the East, I got lucky in... At the same time, got unlucky. I was financially secure. I was done school. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find a way out of the life. And I was driving up to... This is going to... Anyway, I was driving up to North... It was either Sudbury or North Bay or something. Anyway, I was on my way down Winter Road just before Perry Sound. And I rolled my truck. Mm. I was in an Explorer. And my daughter, who I had in the interim on purpose, I might add, with a... Donor. <laughs> Usually traveled with me, but I had a nanny and she took care of her. Anyway, so I crashed, but behind me on a Greyhound was about six strippers. And they heard that the feature stripper crashed in the Explorer. And mm-hmm. when it got back to me at the Perry Sound Hospital, they said there's no way she survived. Mm-hmm. And I walked away. Yeah. I went back to Montreal. And then got my stuff from that place. And then I went to Mississauga and got my stuff out of that place. And then I grabbed my daughter and I came back here. Mm. And I was able to go 
Wow. Nice. Right? I never wanted to look back again. It was before the internet, thank God. Um, I guess it doesn't really matter. I was Lauren Daniels. I was Miss New Western Canada, Miss Hardbody Canada, Miss Gymnast Canada. Yeah, you were. So, I mean, I was making a ton of money, but I needed to walk away. That must have been really hard to do, though, like after making so much. It was easy for me in the sense that I was probably... I, actually, if you can remember that far back, there was a Edmonton cop who was also a feature, and then they found out about it, and they gave her a choice. They said, you can either stay with the Edmonton Police Department or you can be a stripper. Well, mm-hmm. at $150,000 a year back then, I mean, dancers don't yeah. make that kind of money anymore. Yeah. And I think the internet wrecked that. Yeah, probably. She, of course, went, oh, well, it's a no-brainer. No different than the officers here in mm-hmm. this city that started Studio 82. That oh, yeah. was back in the day of Christine Silverberg. And it was just a bikini bar. Mm-hmm. And eventually, they were given the ultimatum of police force or bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was a no-brainer for them, too. Yeah. Like, I've never understood that alternative. You can't tell me because I'm a stripper, I'm going to become a convict. I never drank. I never yeah. did drugs. I never... Oh, I smoke. I still smoke. But I was an athlete, and I did it for the money. Mm-hmm. And I met some very scary people and I met women I firsthand got to watch human trafficking in the east and all these kinds of things that I had to keep my mouth shut mm-hmm. right if I wanted to survive in that world with mine yeah. and I remember because the WOCO thing back then we weren't licensed as loss prevention we were licensed as private investigators mm-hmm. yeah and I forget where I was. Somebody went through my stuff because all dancers shared a room if they were on the road. And she found my license. And she was a biker chick from hell. And she was convinced I was an arc of some sort, undercover mm. person working in this. And I, I literally didn't know what to do. I was sitting in a room. There was about 17 bikers. And they were all just, that's it, chick. You're a narc. You're a this. And I just looked at them and told them the honest to God's truth. Mm. And they went, well, why do you keep the damn piece of paper? I was like, I don't know. It's an idea. I've always had it on me. Mm-hmm. And they cut it up and said, great. What time is your next show? And that's how it ended. Yeah, right? Is. But I was bold-faced honest. Mm-hmm. So I'm, well, tell you the truth. I wanted to be a cop. They told me I was too short, so now I'm making a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Good choice. But I, I literally feared for my life at that moment and at second that. in time. Like, I, I was thinking, I'm hooped. Yeah. I actually think I was in northern Alberta at the time. I was like, ooh. And that was it, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I never wanted to look at the law enforcement side again. Mm-hmm. And shockingly, I went in back into some form or another, I guess. I don't yeah. know. What else were you going to do, man? You were a natural, though. You were probably a natural dancer, natural loss prevention. Like, it just comes natural. I think my upbringing had a lot to do with it. I mean, when you are raised with a European background, as Canadian mm-hmm. as my father is, when I got here, I mean, I see these kids running out on their 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. I could always have a beer at home if I yeah. wanted one. Like it's, I never wanted one. I thought it tasted like dog's ass. Right? But it was never hidden from me. Mm-hmm. So you get these kids, and mine were raised the exact same way, and neither one of them drank. But it was never hidden. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about them running out on their 18th birthday, getting hammered or, yeah, you know. Gabby will joke. She says, I get hammered at least one week in a month, and I get that from my father, she'll say. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> that's all she says. You know, at least one week in a month, I'm stone cold pissed, yeah. and I get it from dad. Okay. 
Yeah, we could just leave it at that. But nudity is not an issue in Europe. None of no. that stuff's an issue, and I never saw it as one. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know why it became a natural transition. Mm-hmm. Who'd have thought? LP at Woco to being a personal guard at the 88 Olympics to the athletes to, well, let's go shake it. <laughs> See, I think that's what makes you so wonderfully interesting, though, right? Is the diversity of your experience. Like, you've walked both lines, right? I mean, now you walk the one, obviously, way more, but the, the other line that you were walking, dancing, is what ended you up in that room with all those bikers, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, I mean, my kids knew it all the time. Mm-hmm. I never hid it from them, no matter how little or big they were. Yeah. And they'd always say, why? And I'd go, well, I'm not ashamed of anything I've done in my lifetime, so there's no reason to hide it from you. Yeah. And then Gabby, like, she was younger in the divorce. Kelsey was much older. I worked an obscene amount, right? And it's just what you did. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure her avenues in life were perfect. Yeah. Right? She's the blessed one. (laughs) So Kelsey will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Kelsey and Gabby were raised differently, though, Mm -hmm. so... I well, because Kelsey had a donor and Gabby had a dad for a bit. Kelsey's going to be really mad I said that. Yeah. She's, uh, she's just now getting a, I don't know what it's called. They do like a swab thing and it can give you your entire history. Oh, the DNA and, test? Uh, not DNA, um, genome testing. Genome, okay. She wants to know, I mean, beyond a description, I can't tell her anything. Yeah. And I'm sure by now she's made a fictitious human, and, but she mm. is worried about health-wise. I mean, for sure. I, it was cancer that ended my marriage. And I had them tested early because mm-hmm. non-Hodgkin's lymphoma was highly hereditary, though I didn't know yeah. anybody in my family, and they were tested fine. But she's fearful of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And it's the unknown, and I understand that. Yeah. And I asked her just recently, do you hate me for it? Mm-hmm. That I can't say this human's your dad. Mm-hmm. And she said, no. She goes, you were clear that you were... Financially secure. I was yeah. done my education. I just wanted a kid. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care what it cost to do it. Yeah. Right? So she's like, no, I love it. But I don't know the other side. It's the yeah. unknown that bugs her. That's interesting, hey? Because so, so was like, sorry, I, I asked. Nope. I'm going to ask this because I don't know. Uh, I probably have heard it one, at one point, but brain damage. Um, when When she was conceive was it actually like from a bank or was it from a dude who said i like you oh no 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 it was going through a notebook looking at you know getting descriptions and heights and okay so it was all that i stuff. wanted her to be tall <laughs> is she tall no she didn't even make it to five feet <laughs> right and I, Thanks, wanted, Mom. I wanted her to have some color mm-hmm. you know because i'm typical white german part and she's paler than i am and so I, I think someone messed it up. <laughs> I mean, my dad was six six. Mm-hmm. My, you know, it's my brother was tall. So I thought, you know, if I stay with the tall thing, and then I learned later on that they get your mother's height. So mm-hmm. my mom was five feet tall. So Kelsey yeah. was hooped no matter what I did. Yeah. But she didn't get any color, though. She gets a lot of people that say to her, "Are you Latin? Are you mm-hmm. Spanish?" Or she gets mad when they ask if she's Lebanese, and I'm like, "Why?" She says, I'm as white as it gets. It's a spray tan. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But she looks like a little pixie, and, mm-hmm. and she's perfect. Yeah. But 
you think I'm black and white on any issues, whoo, I don't hold a candle to that one. Yeah. I've watched her punch people out for saying the N-word in public. Really? Oh, yeah. She's incontrollable. How old is Kelsey now? She's 25 now. 25, eh? She is incontrollable if she sees or hears racism. Yeah. Like, she can't do it. Wow. She can't. I think she might get that from her mom, along with the height. I didn't hit people for it. I do throw them out of the store on a regular basis if I hear I bet you things. if you could do it without getting in trouble, you'd hit them for it. My temper's <laughs> gotten a lot better over the years. Has it? Yeah, it has. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I imagine it has, Linda. I, I discovered no meditation and, you know, things like that. Yeah. And it's it's brought me down. I'm no longer crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I I don't go out actively going. I need to get in a fight today. Mm. That's what Gold's Gym's for with the ring. If I want to hit yeah. a bag, I, I can go there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And you've spent a lot of time in your life fighting, so. I, I, some days I feel like I've spent my whole life fighting. Yeah. But I, then I asked, did I pick my own fights? Probably some of them. Right. So yeah. I always think I'm on the. Is it, okay, so I have a bumper sticker on my car and it says, real heroes don't wear capes, mm-hmm. they wear dog tags. And then I wonder, am I fighting an invisible fight I don't even know about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? The truth and justice of it all. Yeah. But in a way you are, right? Like in, in a way you're bringing, like anyone who works with, and, and this is going to probably be hard for people to hear, but in our country, and probably I would say the same about the states, our military are basically like... Um, they're they're a forgotten minority, right? We forget them. Our governments, I mean, not you and me, not Darcy, but they're they're a forgotten minority, right? When they come back and when they're here, we just ignore them. And by bringing to light the fact that this is going on, like the housing and all the stuff that's going on in the city with it, that that can only help. So you are doing something, right? It's not just about. Um, it's not just about bringing in enough food from the food bank. It's about the fact that what you were telling me about earlier before we started recording um, was that there's already a turnaround, right? And so tell us about that turnaround. You'll do a better job than me. <laughs> well, turnarounds are, are a good thing, and, and it's back to making people look at tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I learned a long time ago... If I want someone to do something, I have to show them that I'm willing to do something. Mm-hmm. So uh, Fire Hall 23, was the C team, came for a barbecue that we had held to help the veterans feel part of a community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would never pick Forest Lawn to pick a neighborhood. And I'm not saying anything bad about oh. Forest Lawn. I've worked there up until this year, literally seven days a week. 364 days a year. We only closed on Christmas. And I've come to know and love the people in the community that mm-hmm. when I first got there, I was like, oh boy, where have I ended up? Mm-hmm. It can be overwhelming though. And, you know, I've met everything from working girls to the homeless people to people that really disliked me in the beginning because they saw me as this rigid girl that, you know, would throw down in the parking lot with any shoplifter to the odd person would go, did you just pay for that person's groceries? I said, well, not all of them. Mm-hmm. I could not. It was my first time working in food. And to see a mom come up and she doesn't have quite enough. And she's looking at like a belt of 
healthy things. Like this isn't even junk. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to do math on what to take off to survive to whatever's helping her. And I simply would constantly go up and go, uh, -uh, do what you can. I'll, I'll cover the rest. And someone said to me, how do you keep doing that? I go, well, then I just work a little longer this Mm -hmm. week. Yeah. Like, oh, you're not financially rich. (laughs) Yeah. No. Nope. I just, you know, I can't watch it. And the food thing was so hard for me when I got there. I was thinking people were, I couldn't charge anybody stealing to eat. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't what I was dealing with. I was dealing with boosters coming in, taking thousands of dollars worth of meat and brute force pushing their way out the door. Yeah. And I'd never seen such a thing. And then I had this one person go, you didn't hear the meat for meth program? I was like, pardon? Yeah. They said anything with a price tag, $25 and over, they could take and sell for a 10 bag. Yeah. And of course, me being me, going, what the hell is a 10 bag? <laughs> I went, never mind, don't explain. So I started implementing loss prevention on that. Sorry, I went off topic No, again. no, please. Um, but over, no over the three years, I've got to know the people that are there. The fire guys come in, and for the longest time, I hid that it was me paying for their groceries. Mm. And they're like, you know, we make good money. I go, yeah, but I also know what you do for the community, mm. right? And their hours get cut and their stuff get cut. Yeah. So anyway, C Company came out. I wanted these eight men and women and uh, Donald to... I brought the fire department as opposed to the staff in the store because C Company has quite a few vets on it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them to feel like they belonged where they're living because to this moment, I don't think they've even quite grasped that yet. Yeah. And this one vet, I think he thought I had something to do with building it. Mm-hmm. And the barbecue is the first time I met him. Yeah. And he comes up to me, he says, you're Linda. I said, yeah, I'm Linda. He goes, Linda, I got to tell you something about the next one you build. I said, okay. And what's that? He goes, we got to have in-suite washer and dryers. <laughs> Because we have to go to the main complex to do it. And I said, well, the whole point of that, he says, you're not supposed to live there forever. Yeah. He's like, I'm not? I went, no. This is so we get you back to where you belong. And then the captain of the day came, you know, walking over and they took over the conversation. But to me, it was the cutest conversation. Mm -hmm. So then some of the homeless in Forest Lawn, of course, this was being held in the loading dock. Yeah. And, uh. They were like, can we have something to eat? And the firemen were doing all the barbecue. Yeah. I cooked nothing. God, they would have hated if I Well, you cooked. know firemen could barbecue. That's what they said. I yeah. felt bad. They said, no, no, that's what we do all day. What we do all day? <laughs> I said, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> so a few people were coming in. And then I had the heart-crushing moment of watching the odd veteran try and put food in his pocket. Mm. Without even realizing... Or him realizing that first off, Merv's no frills. We don't we don't care if they're gift. If I'm in the store, I'm paying for it. I assure you. Mm. But I finally had to tell them because the captain said, "So do you need us to help to clean up?" I said, "No, I don't need help cleaning up because all of the stuff on this table is going home with them." Mm. And I had hoped I said it loud enough that no one felt the need they had to worry about to take a, it. Yeah. And it almost killed me at that moment to see it, though. So then I was driving some of them back with, you know, pop and water and ketchup, mustard, everything went. Mm -hmm. And I had said to a few, I said, where do we go from here? And I learned that one of them hasn't had medical attention since he was released from services Mm -hmm. and he had brain injuries. 
So I'm reaching out to Alberta Healthcare and VA to get him completely checked up. <clears throat> He's feeling pressure to go to work. And I told him, you don't have that pressure. Let's deal with your health first. And then he said he liked making, I can't remember if he said soapstone and amethyst, but there's mm. things. So I said, well, let me get you a Dremel. Yeah. He's like, are they? Yeah. And, you know, it's the little things. So while I'm listening to them talk, I'm trying to find an individual present to bring mm -hmm. them or the community to help me bring them. But yeah. then they said, well, maybe we can have a barbecue to help feed the homeless. Mm -hmm. I almost pulled my car over and cried. Yeah, no doubt. Because these men and women a month ago were homeless. Yeah. And the fact that that was their first thought. So we can turn it around. If yeah. you, you give them a leg up, and, and I believe that's how we change it all. And if I can change the stubborn people in the world, mm -hmm. the more you give, the more reasons you have to give, mm -hmm. the more the universe is going to give you to give. Yeah. I don't even question anymore how I get replenished. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, three years ago, well, 2010, I lost everything I got in my divorce to mm -hmm. a different man and I had to rebuild everything. And I've successfully gotten there. Mm -hmm. I still don't know how I did it. I just, it's its like there's a net it. leap and it's going to fall. Yeah. And I'm blessed that I love the universe that loves me back. <laughs> and God keeps catching me. But also you were pretty damn hard by then. Like I, I, I appreciate all those things that happen. Like, I mean, obviously we have to have a lot of good fortune go our way to get out of those places. But you also work really hard. So I'm just putting that out there because it's not just up to some something else. You have to participate, right? Yes. I know, and I know it's hard for you to acknowledge that. <laughs> you too, though. Uh, yeah, that's a double-edged sword there. It's very much a double-edged sword, but it's uh, it's 100% the same for me as it is for you, right? Like, I have to do the same things. I have to try to stop working when I need to stop working and and all those things. But at the same time... There's also another similarity between us is that we were both born with that. Or given that from maybe however young we might have been, right? Like that, I watch my parents, same as you, but I watch my parents actually do exactly what I wish to do one day, which is just be more human to other humans, you know? I think it's my responsibility, and I'm not putting this on anyone else, but I, I, I wake up in the morning thinking that, Part of my responsibility for the day is to is to be here for others. Otherwise, I have no real reason to be here, right? And that's just kind of the nature of of it, you know. And I always get the sense from you too. Same thing. Well, I I it it's there's so many people that think they have to become their parents. Now, mm -hmm. my parents were divorced, and my mom spent most of my life hiding me from my father. Mm -hmm. She was cruel and mean and a racist. And I had half-sisters that she had had with another marriage that were identical. They drank too much. They popped pills. They snored, whatever they did. But I think the part that she did that affected me the most, I was 11 or 12. We were living up in Pine Ridge. And an Asian family had moved into the cul-de-sac. Now, my mother gave me shame on a regular basis. Mm. But she actually ran around that cul-de-sac screaming, now we're all going to get effing lice. Mm. And my embarrassment was incontrollable. And then she met my best friend, who 
to this day, I still love this woman. She's gone on to bigger, better things in life. I think we parted when I became a dancer. But she was mulatto. Mm. And the beatings I took for that just made me want to love her more. Just by being her friend kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And then after that, it was like all my friends were a different color. And I'd mm-hmm. say, well, you bring that metal spatula all you want. I'll take it all day long. Mm-hmm. And then it just, so I was bound to determine that when I left, that A, when I had children, my only goal was be the best mom I could be mm-hmm. and love them and teach them how to love other people because I had a mother that hated everybody. Yeah. And... I couldn't do right by her. I mean, I was accepted in art school at 14, yet what I drew, would, would she'd see what I was drawing to her was horrifying. Um, I was an incredible gymnast, mm-hmm. but the welts of my body was her unhappy with how far my toes were pointed or, you know, you're going to be an Olympian one day, and it made me hate mm-hmm. sports, Yeah, right? And all these things, so I would screw up for spite until I could get out of there. And it just, to watch my kids and the compassion they have, I, my daughter was four and a half, maybe five years old. The first time I watched her run to help a senior up the yeah. stairs. And I didn't even know. I just stood there going, it was the three little steps in Chinook Mall outside mm-hmm. the shoppers. And she ran, she let go of my hand. And she yeah. ran away and grabbed this tiny little old lady's hands. And she was like, Barely, she wasn't yeah. even kindergarten yet. Yeah. And I'm watching her help this, and this is me standing there bald, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, I'm a cancer patient at the time. And everybody's telling me how it's too much for them because, you know, uh, Gabby was always in the daycare at the cancer center. Yeah. Kelsey, luckily, was six going on seven, so she was in school for most of it. And it made Gabby so compassionate mm-hmm. and soft hearted that the biggest arguments I had on her with my ex-husband were she's too sensitive. Mm-hmm. Gabby's not too sensitive. Gabby, she's just sensitive. Gabby's got spit and fire when yeah. she needs it. Yeah. But she can't stop helping. <laughs> so Gabby and her compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was diagnosed, and this is where healthcare is an abomination. Um, so then you go through all this stuff, and I, I, had a, I was married at the time. And I had a man that was convinced his only job was to go to work and pay the bills because we lost my income. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had just had a brand new baby. Gabby was six months old. Yeah. And so seven years later, let's just go seven years later, I did it all alone, all of it. I drove myself to every surgery, every biopsy, every treatment, every... I, I saw great parts of humanity. And then at home, I saw PlayStation because that's how he got through. It was PlayStation. Mm. So then uh, we sold our big house because, you know, things happen. And then our daughter was uh, attacked at school. We were living in Beddington. Kelsey was 10 at the time. And there was, for the month of June, there was a lockdown on a pedophile. And now we're into summer holidays and, you know, you start to relax upon things. And I'll never forget the day Kelsey ran into the house and she said, Mommy, Dad, help me, man, and penis, all in the same sentence. Mm. And it was also the first time in my life I saw a bad side of CPS. So we had had 13 letters from the school. We're now a couple weeks into summer vacation. Yeah. So I was getting out of the shower. <laughs> so 
Derek grabbed Kelsey. They were gone. I was putting on shorts and a bra and I was gone with the baby. And when mm. I pulled up at this T intersection, there was my husband of the time in the backseat of a police car, my Jeep Cherokee up on a sidewalk, my 10 year old with torn clothing in the front seat. Because mm-hmm. I still hadn't seen her. I was yeah. in the shower. And a man, well, older teenager. Okay. So he was, I found out later he was 19 or 20, mm-hmm. sitting on the bumper of my Jeep. And a bicycle on the ground. So when I got there, I was thinking, oh, my God, Derek hit someone in a crosswalk. Until this officer jumped out of the car and said, that's your husband? I said, yes. He goes, well, he has anger management. He's yelling at me. And I'm like, hang on a minute here. Because, well, we heard the parent on the 911 call. And I'm like, hang on a minute. Who's that guy? And they said, well, your husband was beating him up. I said, is that the man that attacked my 10-year-old that's in the front seat four and a half feet away from where he's sitting? He's like, well, we don't have the whole story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I picked up the phone. I made a couple calls because luckily I had a lot of friends in CPS. And I called the district and I called 911. And now a whole bunch of police officers are Mm -hmm. coming. And I said to this officer, not too bright. I said, I'm just going to move my Jeep out of the equation and my daughter and the 10-year-old victim that no one's paying attention to. Yeah. And he let me, <laughs> and I threw this Jeep into reverse, and the idiot was still on the bumper. Yeah. Luckily, he could jump and move real fast. So, because <laughs> I just <laughs> Or he would have got run over twice. <laughs> so. Don't mess around with kids. That's not the, that's mine. The biggest lesson. So, Kelsey's statement still hadn't been taken. Mm. Derek was still in the backseat of a police car when other police officers are coming up, and I can remember this one girl cop come up, she looks at me, and she points at him, and I nod, yes. And she boots him onto the ground and throw him in handcuffs. And these officers are looking at me going, well, it's anger management. I went, no, I bet. And she's a mom. I give mm-hmm. her about a million buck bet on that. Yeah. So everything's said and done. They released this person with an appearance notice. And I said to him, do you know that he matches the description of the multitude of letters mm-hmm. that you guys have written to us? So I get to Kelsey finally, and she's not talking. And she's supposed to write a statement. And then she looks at me, and this is a girl that was raised with police officers. Mm -hmm. They were friends of mine. They came to barbecues. And she said, you know what? My friends are right. They're pigs. And I'm like, no. She says, Mom, we were at the T intersection. I guess the car, like, so driver's side to driver's side. And the officers were telling Derek, you need to pull over. When she said, Daddy, he's right there, which means they drove past the person. And he went over and he said he stood up and he put up his hands the minute he heard their boots. Mm-hmm. But he was getting a couple shots in, which was the most manly thing Derek's ever done in my whole marriage. Yeah, I got like a lot of respect for what he did there. So when I contacted the police department three days later, I said, your only job right now is to make my daughter not hate you. Mm-hmm. And they took her on like a tour and some things because she saw that so differently. Yeah. She saw it like... Why are they beating up my dad? My dad's just protecting me. And she's a 10-year-old girl. So going back to the cancer thing. So we were, I was in remission. We were slowly trying to work things out. And I, after that moment in time, because I spent the whole marriage saying we have to live in the country. I said, now I'm moving to the country because this happened to Kelsey. Mm -hmm. And Derek says, well, I'm not moving to the country. I said, well, then we're getting divorced. You've been of no use to me for six years. So, Mm -hmm. well, I guess we're getting divorced. He's like, what? Let's go to counseling. 
And we went to five different counselors in two weeks and every opening statement went like this. Well, we were perfect till Linda got sick and he didn't even hear it. And I defend him because every counselor would go, well, you're an absolute prick at yeah. the end of it. Like, so my side was, I spent all this time in, you know, the city taking care of myself, going to treatments, raising our kids, still working part time. And then now I just want to move to the country because my 10 year old was attacked by a pedophile mm -hmm. and I still don't know what happened because she, you know, many counselors later to this day, Kelsey's never told me and she's 25 mm -hmm. and that's a oodles of money on a counseling. And he would say, well, our marriage was perfect till Linda got sick. And they want to tell you their version at the end in hopes you keep them as a counselor. See, that's why I'm going to have trouble remembering that he actually did something stand-up-ish. Just because yeah. of that shit. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. So we get to this one counselor. He says, she says, well, you must have had some foundation if you're even willing to sit in this room. Mm. And she was the first one that didn't call him names. So he picked her as the winner. So I get my acreage. I move out of the country. And... Uh, Still in remission. And then I had a couple more surgeries and I had to have an angioplasty because radiation actually blew a valve in my heart because mm -hmm. they had it off wrong. It's fucking harsh. Yeah, a little bit. And then one morning my neighbor was driving me to Drumheller for a procedure mm -hmm. and her vehicle, her diesel gelled, whatever that means. I didn't know in a diesel and it froze up. Mm -hmm. So we called Derek to come take me. And he's like, oh, I already left for work. Figure it out. <laughs> I was like, oh, for crap's sakes. So we get back home and my neighbors are a little upset by this, but they're used to it by now. And we're sitting there and on the six o'clock news, there is a cure for my form of cancer. Mm. And this is me seven coming up on six and a half, seven years in and out of remission. So, I mean, I had yeah. a lot of good time, a lot of bad time. And our eyes, we get excited and this is going to be the fix of the century. Mm. So I go and they say, oh no, you can't have it. <laughs> so what do you mean I can't have it? They said, well, you respond to conventional therapy, so mm -hmm. you can't have it. And I'm like, well, don't you think about the money that it costs for me, you know, to get back Keep into going. life, and then yeah. it comes back, and then I got to go back through this? So I contacted the States, because I told him when he got home, I said, yeah, I can't have it. They said, you know, you're stuck with the crappy chemo till the end of time, or <laughs> who knows, my remission might make it the full two years, and I'll be fine. So I phoned to find out the cost because that was his next thing. So mm -hmm. well, let's find out how much it is. Yeah. <laughs> so then he comes home and it worked out that if I was to go to the States, like and get the nursing care and stay in a hotel yeah. or whatever, it was around $45,000. And we had opened our own company about three years before that. Mm -hmm. And so I said, this is what it is. You know, I'm thinking I'm going to go. We, <coughs> we can, we can mm -hmm. swing that. <laughs> He's like, well, I have to see where the company's at. So I got up off the kitchen table and I went into the bedroom and I packed a suitcase and I brought it to the kitchen table and he goes, well, I said, go to your mother's and I never looked back. Mm -hmm. And in the end I did go to this, you know, I did do this treatment. I had it brought here though. It was a little more expensive and I've had a Clarepat scan. I've had three since 2010. Yeah. Not a damn thing. Awesome. Cancer ain't going to happen. Awesome. But you do the, ugh. It's like what it took for me to get there. Mm -hmm. I mean, he thought it was funny when I lost my hair. I didn't find it funny. Uh, it was Kelsey. What and, kind of a... I never mind. Well, because we were sitting I on the couch. I wasn't going to get We were it. sitting on the couch and I went to put my hair in a ponytail. And back then, you remember, it was crazy ass long. Yeah. And I went like this and I had a handful. And I was like, oh God. And then I just kept taking <gasps> it out. And he's like, oh my God, that's so cool. 
And I had tears flying down my face, and I was like, how is this cool? Yeah. So when it comes to my two girls, because Kelsey was almost seven, and she dealt with six years of it. It was Kelsey that was there when I was puking. It was Mm -hmm. Kelsey that fed me. It was Kelsey that, you know, and whereas Gabby was too young. And it was Kelsey with me crying all the time going, if you're staying because of us, you're insane. Mm -hmm. My own daughter looking at me going, don't do this. You have been miserable. Yeah. And I didn't, I thought I hit it better. Right. She says, you can't do cancer coach work. Plus your mom, plus you, you know, plus, 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 plus. And she said this, she goes, in the whole time I've known you my whole life, you drink milk at dinner. Mm -hmm. And I said, what the hell does that mean? She goes, you don't even hear it. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, every single night we sit down to dinner. Every single night, dad says, what do you want with dinner? Every single night you say milk. You've never said a different answer my whole life. Why does he keep asking? (laughs) (laughs) Because he forgets from one day to the next. (laughs) And she says, and I was so mad last week because I told dad to pick up milk because we were out and I only drink 1%. And she said she called him on it because he bought 2% and I just never yeah. said anything. He said, well, I couldn't find the one with the purple lid. She goes, well, could you find the one with the number one on it? Right? And I sat there. She goes, you guys have been together for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You don't even know what milk you drink. I was like, whoa. And Kelsey was so grown up by then. Yeah. I didn't even know what to do. I well, said, she well, was calling his bullshit though. But that was the yeah. problem. So when we're going through the divorce, I mean, right after my dad passed, mm. um, I did start seeing someone that I met while I was in cancer treatments yeah. and then he crashed in a motorcycle and you know, all these things happened. I had, uh, I wasn't going to say this, but during the divorce, <laughs> so there was a moment in time where someone said something stupid, like, I wish I could teach my ex-wife a lesson. Mm. And you know, there's, I, I was lucky I had bullet, my dog, my lifesaver, my boy of all boys. But Bullet never barked. And I'm on an acreage in the middle of nowhere. And here I am outside and the dog was barking. And I thought, you know, there's a coyote or something. And I remember walking out the back door and I got hit square in the face with a two by four. Mm. And then all I could think is I have to stay on my feet because the kids are in the house. And I got the door shut and Bullet's still fighting and I'm fighting. And next thing I know, there's all these pickup trucks coming onto my property and I, to me, it felt like forever. I knew I was bleeding everywhere. I'd been, my eye socket was busted. And, and I, all I knew is I had to stay on my feet so mm. they couldn't get in my door. And <clears throat> it was the neighbors. Like, so one's about three and a half acres away and the other one's 10 acres away. And they heard bullet barking. Mm-hmm. And that's all they could think is we've never heard Linda's dog bark. Yeah. And they all come flying in with shotguns and these guys take off and, you know, police and fire and everybody Mm -hmm. shows up. And I'm holding Bullet, who is wheezing and bleeding. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Linda, you don't even realize how much you're bleeding. And I'm like, I don't care. And the firemen and the ambulance are like, you've got to, we have to take you to the hospital. Mm -hmm. I said, you get, you, you got to get my vet on the line. And Mm -hmm. when Bullet's dropped off, I'll go. So I'm holding my big ass German Shepherd <laughs> and he got serviced first and I went in and the police went and knocked on his door, my ex-husband's. And that was the first time I heard the question. They said, do you think 
it's because he said something stupid, like, I wish someone would teach my ex-wife a lesson. Mm. And that was the first time marriage, separation, and coming up divorce that I ever watched Derek feel bad about anything. Not even realizing that a drunk statement like that could cause someone the harm that it caused. Yeah. And I was broken. Mm. I... <laughs> Every doctor said, we don't even know how you're awake. And after Bullet was gone and the neighbors had the kids, I don't remember much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was in the hospital for a while. Yeah. And when I came home, I watched these beautiful people. They repaired the yard light. They put a gate at the end of my driveway. It was like mm -hmm. I came home to Fort Knox. And I stayed at their house until everybody was done. An alarm system was installed. And it was funny because in a small town, I was considered the shameless hussy because I was getting divorced. And it's unheard mm -hmm. of in these... <laughs> nine, 10 and 11 generation farmers. And now all of a sudden they've all banded around me mm -hmm. and they want to give me Fort Knox. And it was, it was an epiphany for me. Yeah. <laughs> epiphany of. It doesn't matter what you do in the end. You always find love. Yeah. Right. Hmm. And these are people that are always a little aloof from me Yeah. because, you know, I was working and that was unheard of. These women were baking while their yeah. husbands were, on tractors yeah. and I was working <laughs> successfully <laughs> right so it was and then I was the divorcee even mm. though I wasn't divorced yet and it's like well keep your husbands away from that blonde <laughs> so as a joke actually it was a while before that my one divorce gift separation gift I bought myself was something I always wanted when I was a dancer and I never bought I bought these thigh-high leather boots <laughs> Ooh. Wait, you never had him as a dancer? No, I never wore the boots. I always wore the shoes. And mm -hmm. I, I remember coming into Calgary and we still had the Barbie store on 4th. Oh, I'm going to go find my new pair of shoes. Nice. <laughs> and I went in there expecting to buy these heels and they had these beautiful leather boots. They were an obscene price and I didn't care. <laughs> nice. I said, put them in a bag and the girl's looking at me like, okay, sure. What are you going to do with that? I said, I'm going to walk it around a town of 400 people in the co-op. Yep. And I did. <laughs> strut my ass. And strut my ass in these thaha boots. <laughs> and I think I've worn them three times since. But, yeah. you know, those well, boots made my world. They made me remember the woman I used to be. Mm. The woman that, you know, that people wanted. You're still that woman. Uh, and at that moment in time, I didn't see that girl. Yeah. I, I saw a girl trying to pick up little pieces and mm. hold them together. That would have been a hard time, though, man. It just, that's the one thing that Linda, the stripper, had no worries in the sense that yeah. she didn't think she didn't have what it took. Yeah. So those boots changed my world. And so, so it turned out that the assault was connected to what's-his-face? I never got an end result. Mm. So no one could be... Certain about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, but I know. That's too bad. No, it's an unclosed door, but I shut it. Yeah. Right. I healed bones, heal bruises, scars. I joke because I have all these funny second eyebrows now. <laughs> You'd think a doctor would sew things to go yeah. with your eyebrow. Right? But they didn't. So, but really. if I go up, I have the two scars. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, why wouldn't you just put it on my eyebrow? Poor boy. He's going to keep going. Yeah. He's going to keel over. So, but we'll turn it back around to humanity. and. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what's next for this city. Yeah. So if if the city could come together and do more helping, and Calgary's the most 
giving city I've ever met. And mm-hmm. I've lived in many, many, many cities. And it seems like every time something goes wrong, Calgarians step up to the plate. Every time. Yeah. And I know this election, I'm not getting into politics. I luckily was in Vegas during this election. Good call. It, I I want oil back as much as the next person. I want jobs created for mm-hmm. people as much as the next person. But I think how we began in this conversation is I do believe in order to change the world, we have to raise our children well. Mm-hmm. And what's happening right now, if we're going to take away from services, whether it be fire, police, first responders, education, um, health care, we're failing. Mm-hmm. And it's going to fail fast. Yeah. I don't think debates that we've taken care of or rights that we've taken care of over the last... 20 years, some of them not even that long, mm. need to be re... I don't think we need to re-look at them. Yeah. Right? The fact that so many people still have such biased and anger and inhumanity towards LBGTQ communities, anybody that's different from what they've grown up with from, mm. you know, because, again, I'm older than you. Older people can have their bias. They can yeah. keep it. I don't care. It's our kids and our grandkids eventually. Mm -hmm. And girls, if you're listening, no time soon. um, That have to change what's happening. Gabby, you're not allowed. No. (laughs) Married first. Um, If we can't stop the bias and the hate, Mm -hmm. which in turn fuels the crime Mm -hmm. and the destitution and, and the harming of other human beings, if we aren't focused on fixing that, then we've already failed. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I care less if oil's back tomorrow. Yeah. If our kids aren't protected, mm-hmm. everybody's wasting their time. Yeah. Period. So what do you think about this? Um, now, I, I've heard lots of different opinions on it, but this young lady, Greta, and the other young ladies that are trying to take... Because like, honestly, when I first heard about this Greta, I thought of Gabby. I was like, this is like one of Linda's kids, right? And so to me, I, I don't, first of all, I don't understand why adults think it's okay for us to pick on kids. Like, I really don't. At no point in time have I ever seen it change where we're not supposed to. We're supposed to be respectful and help kids, right? And so I, that's why I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. Well, on that note, I mean, Gabby's changed me. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm a person that doesn't like stir sticks. Yeah. And every time I go through Tim Hortons, I get a straw because it can never really stir your coffee. Mm-hmm. And it was a while ago that Gabby came home with disposable straws and a metal straw. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me with these big eyes and she said, can you stop wrecking plastic? Mm-hmm. And it was the tiniest little thing. And she's like, if I can get rid of plastic straws, I can change the world. And this was a while ago. Mm-hmm. And any child like Greta, Gabby, Kelsey everybody's kid who's ever recycled, reused. Mm -hmm. I think it's conceded for anybody to think that we can wreck the planet because I'll tell you right now, the planet will win and we're all just gone. Totally. We're just proved it over time and time again. And that's not even a religious statement. That's it's been proved. But the fact that these children are so young and I see Greta is very young, Mm -hmm. but so old. Yeah. (sighs) 
if if we're not backing those people, mm-hmm. we might as well give up tomorrow. Yeah, hate feels hate, yeah. and and. Mike Dooley, the great author, thoughts become things, you choose mm. the good ones. I live by that. And the violence in Calgary, I have watched turn around in the last year exponentially. Mm-hmm. And that was with giving more to first responders. Yeah. So, but violence has gone up since, we'll call it the Alberta crash, right? And it's inevitable. But we can't stop the men and women on the street trying to stop that from mm-hmm. happening. And, and I don't know how to fix it. I, yeah. I don't know how to fundraise for a city pool. I don't, you know, every time something's coming here or has a chance to come here, which will create employment, give kids or volunteers, mm-hmm. I'm always good for the volunteers, yeah. things to do, we quash them. Mm-hmm. So we're hosting the Great Cup on Sunday, but you can't drive to it. Really? So tell me about that, because you mentioned it earlier, and I have no idea what that's It's about. the stupidest thing I've ever heard. They are doing road services on Crow Child. It's closed. Period. Period. You can't get to McMahon Stadium tomorrow. Do you know how many tourists are coming in this city for this tomorrow? So they can, get a, they can use their tickets to get free transit. Mm-hmm. But you cannot park at the grounds tomorrow. So we have this great event that we're not in, mm-hmm. but our city is hosting, and business could be thriving. Mm-hmm. And you can't drive there. You can get a free bus. So then we had bid and won the X Games. Now that's gone. Mm-hmm. And I understand that people think that putting money into these things. I was here for the 88 Olympics. Mm-hmm. The city thrived. Yeah. Tourism thrives. Calgary is beautiful. Yeah. So why are we quashing it in a, in a province and a city especially that we want the world to see even more we're more mm. than the calgary stampede but do you do you think that maybe part of the reason people don't want the olympics anymore is because we don't trust it i'm fine with saying no to the olympics yeah. trust me no one trusts it, and i get that like the ioc is just a bunch of criminals right like absolutely yeah. absolutely but the x game is isn't yeah that's separate right so yeah. but that's what i'm saying whenever yeah. so we said no to the olympics thank mm-hmm. you very much for holding a poll and taking our words yeah right and but we say yes to other things and then take it away. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand. I don't. And then everybody keeps talking about a new rink and a new this and a new that. Mm-hmm. Has anybody ever sat down and went, there's ways we can give people what they want without spending the money? Mm-hmm. We have an Olympic oval that we can't use. Yeah, It's in disarray, but can become a field house Mm-hmm. so fast and minimal amounts of money. Why can't it be done? Mm-hmm. There's simple things. And, and right now I think we sent someone here from Europe to revamp something that we're paying them. Mm. Something downtown is being revamped and they're getting someone from Europe. They're paying to come here. So it's those little things that probably make every yeah. person on the city go, why are we wasting money on this? Yeah. But then that brings me back to changing the world one child at a time mm-hmm. how many shelters have been shut down yeah how many services that we give or try to give have been taken away yeah and yet you hear statistics on how the drop-in center has managed to decrease homelessness mm-hmm. how you know all these these services are trying to integrate people back into society and they're yeah. successful at it 
So then the simple little things like the fire department used to pick up needles. Mm-hmm. Now they don't. So it was given to the dope team. But then they just took 20000 a year from that. So how are they mm-hmm. going to do it? But they didn't give back to the fire department. And I learned this the hard way because I called someone to pick up a sharps container. Mm-hmm. 311 says they don't do it anymore. Call them. I call them. They don't do it anymore. Well, who does it? Mm-hmm. So it's the little things at the end of the day that yeah. are getting bypassed. But all those little things add up to big things, right? Yes. Because when you can't collect your sharps, what happens? Somebody gets stuck with a needle, right? Yeah. Right. And I try and train as many people as I can. And and then you pick up a needle and someone's got to trash something else, mm-hmm. right? Oh, well, they didn't have these vans and these safe things. And mm-hmm. you know what? Enough. If we don't have rehab available. Yeah. I know people that have asked for help and can't get it. Like, I deal with these people every day. Mm-hmm. They're like, how do I get help? Well, is, how long is the waiting list? Depends, yeah. But there's always a waiting list, usually for beds, right? Because mm-hmm. beds are always at a premium, right? So. But there's no waiting list for another safe van. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. we can put money into one, but not the other. Yeah. I, I just, there's so many things that need to be fixed that... It'll never happen in my lifetime. Probably not yours. Probably not mine. And I can only hope that it happens with the likes of Greta Mm -hmm. and Gabby and all those kids of the world. Because that girl has come so far Mm -hmm. and she has made a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. And congratulations for doing it. Yeah. And if grown-ups don't want to listen, I have a feeling she's just going to keep getting louder until I hope they so. do. And I hope so. If I yeah. if if I have to jump on her bandwagon, I mm-hmm. will. You know, it's it's the little things. Yep. Right. Um, I'm most proud of any compassion that children mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Right. Any compassion and like any kind of like external compassion mm-hmm. for things that they're not necessarily. Like, I, I understand that uh, Greta comes from a wealthy family, but, like, who cares, right? Like, who cares that her family's wealthy? That doesn't mean her voice is any less meaningful, right? So just like anyone else, any one of us, I come from privilege for sure. My parents, I had a soft place to land. No matter what I was doing, my parents were always a soft place to land, right? And I know that that's not the case for everybody, Right? So basically, I do come from a place of privilege. I didn't have to worry about shit that you might have had to worry about, right? But I spent my life making sure my children didn't have to worry about That's right, because you broke the cycle. That's what you have to do. That's what you got to do. And it's like uh, when when the vets were talking, and and I hope none of them take anything I say the wrong way, because I'm pretty black and white on what I say. And we had a staff member at the store... And she had tears in her eyes. I said, what's up? Mm. She goes, well, they were just talking to me. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, your heart's soft. And she said, no, it was, what he said was, I am so amazed that I have a full-size t- bathtub mm-hmm. and that every night he could have a bath. And it hit her that these are things that you and I and everybody else, I go home, I want to take a bath, I want to take a shower, I want to, mm-hmm. this person... All he could talk about with the new house was that he could go home every night and take a bath. Mm-hmm. And to watch a switch go on the people, go, hang on a minute. Why can't anybody do that? As much as that made her sad or melancholy or whatever emotion she was feeling, mm-hmm. it gave me joy. 
because now I know how that will resonate with mm-hmm. her till the end of time. Because I know she's going to go home. She's going to tell her husband. She's going to mm-hmm. tell her children. And then her children are going to become aware that this person who served for this country and came home to not having any support mm-hmm. years later is now just grateful they have a bathtub when, as far as I'm concerned, he should have a match. Mm-hmm. Right? So if that's that little moment of her time allowed her to go home and share that story with her children that will mm. share that story with their children, that is the only thing we can hope for. Yeah. Is that ripple in, in time. Absolutely. And I've shared every life experience I've had with my kids, mm-hmm. no matter how hard it is for them to hear it, swallow it, or if they brush it off, in hopes that they never do the same. Yeah, they don't have to go down the same pathway, right? But I worry I didn't teach them how to love. Mm. I don't know. I think you're teaching them how to love in a different way. I teach them how to not be tolerant, mm-hmm. right? Or Well, not be tolerant of injustice. There's yes. a big distinction. But you have to, I have to learn how to bend. Mm-hmm. And I For haven't sure. got there yet. <laughs> well, you got, long, you got a long way to go. You're only 50, right? You, yeah. got, you still got at least 50 years, Linda. Oh, my Lord. I know. <laughs> You're you're not looking forward to it, but the world needs you. So. I'll be fine if I don't fall. They tell me that's the secret <laughs> yeah, to growing yeah. old. Don't fall. Yeah. They said that's my secret. So That makes sense. Wear good boots. At the end of the day, wear good boots. Wear sensible <laughs> shoes. It always don't comes fall. back. Yeah. Don't fall and wear sensible shoes. <laughs> See, there we go. But I really want to wear those thigh high boots again. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should. I think you should go into work I think one day. They're with them. staple for carry on luggage everywhere. Yeah. So. You just put them in your luggage and people ask about them and you're like, yeah, those are my boots. Yeah. <laughs> what time are we at, man? An hour. Hour? We're good. How do you feel, Linda? I feel good. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's... Change well, the world one child at a time. But the, And I think that's a good note to finish on. Can I throw one thing into that? Please. Because actually this is going to be the can of worms of all can of worms. And I swore I'd say something if by yesterday justice wasn't served. Mm-hmm. So... I've been a volleyball coach for a very, very long time. I've coached my kids, and now I volunteer at other schools. And anyway, so it came down the line to me of a young boy who is a Syrian refugee. He's been here for three years. And he ran away from a... He said he was his uncle. So this is a boy that there's been multiple police interludes by Mm -hmm. this uncle, who, by the way, is not an uncle. He's just someone his mother hangs out with, and he's a sponsor. Anyway, long story short... It was the beginning of the school year when it came to me. Mm-hmm. I brought it to the attention of the school resources officers and made the mistake of assuming they took care of it. Um, and then I got a call from my daughter on a late Monday night in Kensington where this boy was running away from this abuser. So she's on the phone with me. She's just found him. They're going up to, she's taking him up to her boyfriend's house. Like we're, anyway. So I'm on the way up with police officers. Mm-hmm. Like I'm on the phone with the police my whole way up there. When I get there, the abuser and the mother, who's far from kind, mm-hmm. is in a car. And the one cop comes up and he asked me, are you so-and-so? I said, no. I said, that's probably them that called you. So anyway, long story short, um, it took month and a half for this big blow up to happen for family services to get involved. Mm-hmm. And this is a very young, so I'll say 14-year-old boy. But if you were to meet him, you'd think between 10 and 12. Like he's a very small, very tiny, very mm-hmm. quiet young man 
who in the last two months has found his voice. Mm. And his voice is, I'm not going home until this person's out of our life and my mom gets help because, you know, it's not just one, it's the other. And then, um, so he has a temporary place to stay. And then as of Thursday, he was told he couldn't stay there anymore because the mother wasn't happy with him being there. And the uncle, who's not an uncle, who's just a sponsor, wants him somewhere else. So they wanted to put him with someone he doesn't know. And he said, well, can I go with Linda? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll pass any and all clearances. I've had foster kids over the years. And it was like, no, your mom says you have to go here. And I made the, I said, great, you can put them wherever you want, but I expect there to be an emergency protective order. So this man doesn't get near him. Mm -hmm. And some sort of counseling and supervision with the mother. Mm -hmm. And it's basically come down to a no. So on Monday, I will be spending my day with the child advocacy Mm -hmm. because uh, nobody wants to fight with CFS. And this is a boy that's told me so many things in the last month that borderline makes my mom look like a nun, mm-hmm. right? And he he's, he's says he's going to run. Mm-hmm. He says, I can't go back. Yeah. And I said, well, and the joke on this was, if I have to put you on a Greyhound to Germany, <laughs> mm-hmm. he just looked at me and went, huh? <laughs> I said, yes, we won't make it across the ocean. I, I will find someone... Because it opened up a bigger question to me. We we brought in a lot of refugees, which is something Canada does that I mm-hmm. love for the end of time. You and me both. But I'd like to know who's watching over them now that they're here. Yeah. Because on this stripper thing, to bring it back around, when I mentioned human trafficking, I believe that some sponsorships and some people are tantamount to... I mean, I hear this boy say how they're not making it mm-hmm. money-wise... But then I'd like to know how that can happen when they're going to be on low-income housing. Mm-hmm. And I looked into it on my own. It's about $280 a month that they're paying. Plus, they're getting the refugee funds. So that tells me that this sponsor is probably taking the funds. Yeah. So who is overseeing these refugees and these children? And where the money goes and all Who in stuff. three years he's learned that I'm on this soil and this soil I'm protected and I can tell someone. Mm-hmm. And I said, why didn't you tell your school a year ago, two years ago, he said he did. He said, mm-hmm. I went to the counselor at my school and she said, what did you do to make him so angry? And I said, I wish you would have came to me then. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's my old can of worms. I'm going to open that up. I am well, going to find glad. a child advocate lawyer if it kills me. I'm glad you opened it up. And by the, hopefully by the time we get this episode out, we'll have some, <laughs> we'll, have, well, we'll have some answers because I'll ask you. I'll ask you what happened. I plan on finding him his own lawyer. Yeah. Because they've denied me coming to any meetings. They've Mm -hmm. allowed his main abuser to sit in these meetings. Mm -hmm. And now they're discussing putting him back to where he could be. And no. Yeah. No. Nah. Well, good on you. The kid needs it. The kid needs help, man. We all do. I told him I got you. Yeah. (laughs) Little does he know that that you mean that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, Monday I'll be looking for lawyers. Anyway, thank you all so much for having me. I feel... For this one and it's cold. He's quiet. I know, he is quiet. Yeah, I try to get always. him talking, but then he just kind of ignores me. Gives me the finger all the time. Yeah. I'm like, hey, Darcy, you want to contribute? He's like, no, I don't. You do know that saying on your shirt there, you want to read off what your shirt says? Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Yes, that'd be my last plug before I say goodbye. Oh, well, thank you very much. Everybody on the planet should know who Dave Leary is.
Oh, well, that's very, I, I appreciate you saying that. I don't agree, but I appreciate you. No, yeah. I know you won't say it. So uh, find some people that hold big fundraisers raisers for this one. Well, thank you, Linda. Mm. Chances are I'm going to be asking you to help us with that. <laughs> I got a feeling I may have a couple Facebook people going to ask me, well, tell me who they are. Mm-hmm. So, Well, I appreciate that. So thank you for coming tonight. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.